So uh, we are in a series called We Are the Church and Four Things to Build a Powerful Church. The church uh, took a, a major hit over the last couple of years, but the Lord, um, as one person said it, every church, I talked to a pastor yesterday, he called me, he's got a, a large church here in the city, and we haven't talked in uh, probably a year and a half, maybe two years. And he just called me out of the blues. I was on my prayer walk today, and I thought about you. Want to see how you're doing? And he started. We talked about the churches, and um, every church. I said, "Well," he said, "How? What, how? What's going on with the churches in the area?" Because I'm related. I relate to a lot of different pastors. We do different things in the city, so we kind of get a landscape of the church in San Diego. And I said, "Well, every church has about a 40% return." Um, he said, "That's that's that's what we have about." 40% people have returned to church, he said, but it's smaller but better. And I said, that is the phrase everyone is using. And so we are coming back to, I believe Jesus is bringing the church back to its divine DNA. We got distracted by all sorts of other things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And so we're zeroing in on the four things that the early church did that caused them, and it could cause us as well, to have the reputation from those that were not in the church looking at the people called the church, the Christians, you and me, is that these people have turned the world upside down. Now, in God's view, that means the world was turned upside right, right side up, right? And so that is our goal, is to bless our city by bringing the kingdom. Can I hear an amen? And that's in every sector of society. The church made a huge mistake around the turn of uh, the 20, 20, uh, 20th century, 21st century. What century are we in right now? 20th century, the 1900s, where the definition of holiness was remove ourselves from the filth of the world. So we pulled out of media, we pulled out of education, we pulled out of the business sector, we pulled out of uh, uh, all the different seven mountains of society. And so the people that were not walking with Christ filled the void. And it took about 75 years for us to realize we made a mistake and we are now needing to once again be the salt and light of the world and to infiltrate every sector of society with the goodness of God. So what were the four things that the early church focused on that caused them to be so powerful? One was the Word of God. We looked at that. Uh, you, You cannot live without the Word of God in your life, nor can the church. We have to stick to the Word of God no matter what the culture does. We stick with the Word of God. Secondly, is fellowship, koinonia, cementing ourselves to Jesus and to one another. Koinonia is a fellowship that's unlike any other group of people on the planet. Communion, which Mark preached on last Sunday, which is the presence of Jesus. That's what separates us from the people, every people group in the world, is the presence of Jesus. This isn't just a club that we're in. We are the church and Jesus is the king of his people, his kingdom. And thirdly, fourthly, which we're going to look at today is prayer. Today we're going to unpack this. This was the power cell of the early church. The church began in prayer. This is Pentecost Sunday, by the way. And the, the, the early church, they did not know what they were waiting for. But Jesus said, after he breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit, they did. So they were born again. But then he said, wait until you receive the power from on high. So they didn't know what that meant. They had no idea what he was talking about. But they, they were faithful. There were 500 when they began, but 120 remained faithful. Isn't that interesting? Over the last couple of years, there's been a filtering. And the faithful 
are still connected to the church and to Jesus and to the kingdom of God. And you remember a few, we- a few weeks ago, the Lord moved on us in the intercessor prayer before service prayer and fire came upon us. And then I came in here and I felt the Lord wanted us to continue with that. And I laid hands on people and I've gotten testimonies from people that the fire just went through their body. That was the Holy Spirit. And then we caught up to what the Lord was doing. The early church began with fire. As they were in that upper room, all of a sudden, the wind of the Holy Spirit came in and tongues of fire were upon each one of them. They went out into the public square and began to speak in tongues and everybody heard them and they're like, what? They're, they're declaring the, the glory of God in all of our different languages. You know, they're drunk. And he said, Peter said, we're not drunk. This is what Joel prophesied. The spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men have dreams and your old men have visions or whatever way that was. I think I just messed that up. Who has visions and who has dreams? All right, we'll take it all. Dreams, visions, prophecy. And the church was birthed. And so the Lord reenacted that a few weeks ago in here, which was profound. But the church didn't just begin in prayer as they were in the upper room. They were sustained in prayer. You see in Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John were arrested for preaching, as soon as they were released, they went straight to church And the church immediately lifted their voices up and they began to pray again. And they were all filled again. And the house shook. And they all came out and signs, miracles, and wonders. So the church began in prayer. It's also sustained in prayer. You see, if we don't keep the pedal to the metal in prayer, in your own personal life, our life as a church, the church, the power decreases. Right? It's like if you take your pedal foot off the pedal of a car... It just slows down. Same with the church. You take your pedal off of prayer, your spiritual life slows down. That's why the church has always got to keep the prayer pedal to the metal. Can I hear it? Amen. Amen. Thirdly, the church is victorious through prayer. Acts chapter 12, James was arrested and beheaded. Then Peter was arrested, but the church went to praying. And an angel appeared to Peter and, and released him from prison. I find that a very interesting correlation right? You have one martyred and then the, then the church starts praying and Peter was going to be martyred in the morning. And yet an angel came and he was released. Prayer releases heaven on earth. That is how the church is victorious. And then fourthly, the church ushers in the second coming of Christ through prayer. The Bible says in the book of revelation that the bowls in heaven were filled. Anybody know with what? The prayers of the saints. That's us. Every generation the baton's in our hand right now. We are the church now. When we go, there'll be another generation. The church then. When they go, another generation. That's why it says John the Baptist ran his race. He finished his course. David finished his course and served his generation. It's our turn to serve our generation. The baton's in our hand. We, our prayers are filling up those bowls in heaven. And when they are full, which nobody knows when, the angel's going to tilt the bowl and wham. <laughs> yeah going to be something so the church began in prayer is sustained in prayer is victorious through prayer and ushers in the second coming of christ through prayer so why don't we pray so why don't we pray you know the statistics on prayer are 
are abysmal. Why don't we pray? If prayer is as important as I just set it up, why don't we pray? Four reasons that I'm going to share today of why we don't pray or why we don't pray more. For those saying, well, I pray, maybe we could pray a little more. Four reasons. You guys ready for this? Now, these are roadblocks to prayer, obstacles to prayer, and we're going to kick all four of them over today. One, two, three, four, right? Get your kicker out. Come on. Everybody get your kicker out. Let me see your kicker. All right, you're going to kick over some obstacles to prayer, all right? You guys ready for this? Four reasons why people don't pray. Number one is prayer is unnecessary. Prayer is unnecessary. Pew Research did a, a, put out a report, and they broke down prayer in America. And they used uh, all sorts of different categories. I just picked three of the categories just as an example of why people feel that prayer is unnecessary. This is frequency in prayer, daily prayer. They did daily prayer, weekly prayer, monthly prayer, and no prayer at all. So I just pulled out the daily prayer habits of people in America. You guys ready for this? Younger millennials pray, 9% of them pray daily. 9%. Older millennials, 11%. Generation X, 28%. Baby boomers, 36% pray daily. Okay, that's by age. Okay, now let's go by income, frequency of daily prayer, less than third, making less than $30,000 a year, 37% pray daily. Those that make 30 to 50,000 a year, 21% pray daily. So it decreased those that make 50 to a hundred thousand a year. It drops down to 26. Oh, that's about the same, a little more, but it's about the same stays about the same a hundred thousand or more 15% pray. So you drop from 37% for those making 30,000 or less down to less than half of that 15% for those making a hundred thousand or more. Now let's go to education. Those who have high school, uh, education and that's all or less 43% of those pray every day. Those who have some college 33% pray every day. Those who graduate from college 15% pray every day, and those who have postgraduate degrees, 9% pray every day. What do you think the issue is here? What are the common denominators? What's the common denominator? The youth. My strength will see me through. Mm, Right? The wealthy, my money will see me through and meet all of my needs. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have needs. The highly educated, my intelligence will see me through. It comes down to self-sufficiency, right? You can be, with, the, with the higher education, you can be talked out of it. God made us intelligent beings, but he didn't make us intelligent to eliminate him from the equation. He made us intelligent to search him out. Jesus was the sharpest knife in the drawer everywhere he went. He was the most intelligent human being ever. Uh, Luke was a physician. Wrote the book of Acts, wrote the book of Luke. He was a physician, very intelligent. Joseph of Arimathea was very wealthy. He's the one that bought the tomb they buried Jesus in. He helped bring, take Jesus' body off the cross. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He was very wealthy. 
he was a follower of Jesus. There were women that followed Jesus' ministry that were very wealthy that provided for his ministry. John was a teenager in his early 20s. The Apostle John, he wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. He was a youth when he started following Jesus. It's not impossible to be a follower of Jesus if you're young and shredded, or if you are wealthy, or if you are highly intelligent, it's just harder. Jesus said that. He said, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say it was impossible. It's hard. He said, because they trust in their riches, or you trust in your strength, or you trust in your education and intelligence. You see, prayer is about humility. Prayer is about dependency on God. Prayer is about not what I can produce with my hand and my strength and my intelligence, which is extremely limited. Prayer is about what you can do, God, in my life with your strength and your power and your wisdom and your intelligence and your grace. I love the scripture that says God's eyes go to and fro throughout the whole earth looking to see whose hearts are loyal to him so that he may show himself strong on their behalf. I'm not impressed with what I can produce in my life. Are you impressed with what you can produce in your life? I'm impressed with what God does, what God can produce. And prayer is what releases God's power in the earth. I got two amens. Anybody else? If the enemy can disconnect us from prayer, he will beat us in our minds, our emotions, and our mission. Paul told us that we are in a spiritual war. We can't live by just what we see. We have to understand there's always a spiritual entity behind what's happening in the natural. Daniel chapter 10 is one of the greatest examples of this. Right, Daniel's fasting and praying 21 days, and he's getting nothing. No communication from heaven. Ever experienced that before? Just silence. No activity. And all of a sudden, boom, the angel Gabriel shows up. I don't know if he was doing that, but... He said, man, I was sent from the first day you started praying. Wow. And listen, he said this, and I was sent because of your words. Because of the words of a human being to heaven, God heard it the first day Daniel started praying. God said, uh, Gabriel, go answer uh, Daniel's prayer. Gabriel leaves heaven, head of the earth, boom, runs into the principality of the kingdom of Persia. What? What? What are we talking about? You go to Persia and you just see Persia. And you see the government, and you see, you know, their food and their music and their culture and all that. Behind the scenes is a spiritual regime led by the principality of Persia, who at that, uh, that nation was ruled at that time by a demonic power that was called the principality of Persia. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6 very clearly. He said, we are wrestling against principalities, powers, uh, rulers of the darkness of this age, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's a demonic regime in the unseen world. If we don't understand that, we are living spiritually ignorant, and we are battling fleshy wars all the time. 
Ephesians 2 says that when you're not born again, you're led about by the nose, by the, by the prince of the power of this air, of the air. He'll just manipulate and get, you know, if you're offended, ooh, drive that offense in there and drive relationships apart and jealousies and anger and wrath and lust and greed and all these things that control us, our flesh. You get born again, the Spirit of God comes into you and He begins to change you from the inside out. But we have to understand we have an enemy, Satan, who is trying to destroy us, the church. And so Gabriel said, I, was, I came 21 days ago, but the prince of the power of Persia withstood me. And then he says this, and for those of you who have taken world history, he says this, when I return, I have to fight against the prince of Greece. Do you, in the, in the natural and world history, do you know what nation overtook Persia? Greece. It happens in the spiritual first, then it happens in the natural. That's why praying for our nation is so doggone important. Who's ruling our nation? It's behind the White House. It's behind Congress. It's behind the Senate. It's behind the seats of government. It's behind school boards. It's behind mayors. There's something going on in the spirit realm and the church on our knees is what wins the spiritual battle. Therefore, we get to see God's will done in the natural. Whether it's at your school, at your place of work, in your marriage, whatever it is, prayer is our weapon of warfare. That's why Paul says at the end of talking about that regime, he says, therefore, praying always with all kinds of prayer in the spirit. Here's a guy that got... He was one of the most intellectual people of the first century. One of the most wealthy people of the first century. One of the most powerful people. One of the most politically connected people. Somebody who was caught up to the third heavens and saw everything. And he comes down and begs for prayer. Wow. Wow. Prayer is the opposite of self-sufficiency. It is God's sufficiency. God, I need you. We're going to pray at the end of the service, so get ready. The Psalms, David prayed three times a day. Daniel prayed three times a day. The church, early church prayed seven times a day. Oh, and guess who else prayed? Often. If the Son of God... Come on, everybody. Listen to me. I need your attention. If you don't think prayer is necessary and Jesus thought it was necessary for himself... Who do you think you are? <laughs> Come on. When we don't pray, church, we lose our way. This is what happened in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the church had lost its way because it stopped praying. And so Jesus shows up at church one day, and look what he did. Matthew 12, 21, 12 through 17. This is still under the category, prayers unnecessary. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house should be called a house of entertainment. My house should be called a house of music. My house should be called a house of giving. My house should be called a house of fellowship. All those, are, all those are great, and they're all important. But what did he say his house's reputation would be? My house will be called 
a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. He healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these, these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, the innocent ones, the ones that have not been yet corrupted by wealth or education outside of a knowledge of God or any other thing that makes us feel that we are all that in a bag of chips, that we don't need God. That was the lie that began in the Garden of Eden, by the way. The good God, our good God, had given Adam and Eve the entire garden, the whole planet, everything. He's a good God. Gave them stewardship over the whole thing. Said, just not that tree. And Satan comes in and says, did God say you can't eat of any of these trees? That's not what God said. You see, Satan's constantly trying to tell, convince us that God is not good and he's a withholder. And he's a killjoy. If you would live your life and have your own five-year plan and live on your own self-sufficiency, you will be much happier than if you serve God. That's his lie. He's been selling it since the Garden of Eden. They bought it, and we're still buying it. That's why he says, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've perfected praise. It's children that have the kingdom faith that Jesus is looking for. That's why he restores our innocence when you get born again. He breathes his spirit into you, and all of a sudden you just feel brand new, because you are. Now we have to nurture that, which is what class 201 is all about. Nurturing that spiritual life that's in you. Staying in spiritual communion with God, so you stay on his page, and don't take the bait of Satan. Luring you away with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. There's a pattern here in this temple experience, and we're going to move on to the second thing that stops people from praying. There's a pattern here we see. It's called purity, prayer, power, and praise. Say this out loud with me. Purity, prayer, power, and praise. The first thing Jesus did was purify the church from it being used for all sorts of things that was not the Father's purpose. And I believe that's what has happened over the last couple of years. The Lord has purified His church. Second is a uh, reinstatement of prayer in our lives. And if we will do that, we will experience the third thing, which is power. They brought all the sick and the lame to him, and he healed them. And then we will have praise that's just unstoppable because we will have things to be praising God about. Healings and salvations and deliverance right here in this church and any other church and any other believer's lives that will commit themselves to prayer. So number one, people don't pray because they feel it's unnecessary. Now, If you feel like I've done a sufficient job dismantling that lie that prayer is unnecessary, just kick your hurdle over. Go ahead. Just kick it over. Say, prayer is necessary. Come on. Say, prayer is necessary. necessary. All right. I was actually going to bring four hurdles here, but I didn't think that uh, Lexus would appreciate me kicking him over and, you know, smacking on the tile floor here. So we're just going to imagine. Number two, prayer is undesirable. Jesus asked his best friends to pray with him in his darkest hour, and he went to pray, and they fell asleep. He came back three times, and they just kept falling asleep. And Jesus said to them, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer is boring. Sometimes. 
Prayer can be boring. It's not as exciting as playing Xbox. It's not as exciting as watching a movie. It's not as exciting as listening to your favorite music, going to a concert. It's not as exciting as being on a date with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, hanging out with your friends. It's not as exciting as a party or going to the park and, you know, uh, playing, you know, frisbee football or whatever you do, going golfing. Jeff and I went golfing just recently and he just beat the heck out of me, which wasn't fun at all. I'd rather be praying, you know, <laughs> but I'm praying more now because we're going to go golfing again. So, um, of course he brought his son along as his uh, cohort and that wasn't fair. But anyway, I had Josh though, and he did pretty good. I was the weak link. So that's just more exciting than praying most of the time. And I want to say this to you. You don't have to feel bad about it. If you're bored in prayer, it's not like God's offended. Your flesh hates prayer. When I wake up in the morning, I don't feel like praying. I feel like going back to sleep. Do I have any other honest Christians in the house today? Come on. Two, three, four, five, six. Okay. Everybody else, you just, your eyes pop when you go, oh, I can't wait to pray. Right? No, your flesh doesn't want to pray. Your flesh wants to sleep. Your flesh wants to be entertained. Your flesh wants to eat. Your flesh wants to complain. Your flesh wants to be negative. Your flesh wants to fight with your spouse or with your kids or your flesh just wants what it wants. Right? Yeah. So one, tell your flesh to shut up. Don't let it rule your spiritual life. Just tell it to shut up. So what I used to do is I'd wake up and then I would chug a huge glass of OJ to get that hit. And then I would just pace in my living room and pray in tongues. Right now, if you don't pray in tongues, you have to do that. You can just start praising, put on some praise music. I used to do that too. You just got to wake yourself up, shake yourself up because your flesh does not want to pray. It wants to watch TikTok. It wants to get on, you know, watch YouTube videos and cat videos and dog videos. And you just want, you know, you want to be, you know, stimulated. And so you've got to tell your flesh to shut up and I'm going to pray. A lot of times what I do, the way I jump in, I used to do OJ. Now I just chug a big cup of coffee and then I don't feel like praying. I just outline. I just start the Lord's prayer. That's my track that I run. I say, Father, I'm in. Father, good morning. Holy is your name, meaning you are awesome. All of a sudden, I got my eyes off of my life and I got my eyes on him. I just start. You just got to start. Don't let your flesh rule you. Or you can get a prayer partner. I did that for a, a number of years. My brother and I, we'd pray every day together. There were days I'd, he'd call and I'd say, nah, I don't want to pray today. Yeah, we're praying. Just like a workout partner, right? I don't want to work out today. If you have a workout partner, they won't let you off the hook. And then the next day or the next week, it's their turn. Nah, I'm not going to work out today. I'm not going to pray today. I'm not going to go to church today. Yes, you are, right? Jesus always had his disciples go in twos. There's a reason for that. You need somebody to hold you, your flesh, accountable to doing what your spirit actually wants to do. Jesus said your spirit is willing. Inside of you, your heart, you really want to connect with God. Your flesh is the problem. And if you will do this, if you will just keep telling your flesh to shut up and you will just step into prayer, the discipline, disciplining your flesh, it will actually, you'll turn into a desire to pray. You go from discipline to desire, just like working out where you start working out. I, you know, I'm not working out right now. 
and it's so hard to get started. And right, I got one honest Christian on this point. Okay, I hear you, Pastor. I know it's hard. Once you're out of it, you're out of the rhythm to get back into working. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm telling you what, I'm gonna start tomorrow. Right, and tomorrow never comes. You start working out, and the first. We, oh my gosh, you're so sore, man. Oh, but you push through that and then you start getting into a rhythm and now you actually desire to work out and then you start seeing some results and it becomes a delight to work out. Same with prayer. You start getting some answers to prayer. That's why many times we start our prayer meetings with testimonies. Testimonies of what God has done is fuel for intercessors, for those that are praying, Right? And so once you start getting results from your prayers, that's when prayer becomes a delight. So you go from discipline, desire, to delight. So the first obstacle is prayer is unnecessary. The second one is it's undesirable. Can we tell our flesh to shut up and kick over that second obstacle? Come on, get your foot out. It's undesirable. Just kick it over. Just say, just say this. Say, flesh, shut up. And then kick like this. Ready? Say it. Come on. Flesh, shut up. All right. All right. You're not going to rule my life. Number three, I feel unworthy to pray. So many Christians have stopped praying because of shame and guilt and condemnation. I can't pray. I can't go into God's presence because I've sinned. Well, join the club. Do you know there was only one sinless prayer ever? Do you know what his name is? Jesus is the only sinless prayer. If, if sin disqualifies us from praying, nobody's going to pray. Nobody. Unless you think you're sinless. And if you think that, we have a prayer team that will cast that spirit out of you. <laughs> that deceiving, religious, lying spirit that has turned you into a Pharisee. So that you can join the rest of us sinners and we can enter by his grace. You've got to learn how to tell shame to shut up too. Because God's not shaming you. That's you and the enemy talking to you. Trying to shut down your prayer life. How many of you have ever believed that you are a Spiritual hypocrite. Raise your hand. You're a hypocrite. You hypocrite. Look at all hands all over the place, right? Hypocrite. Yeah. Let me tell you what kind of that's a lie. Let me tell you the difference here real quick. Because Satan likes to use this one to get the church to stop praying, to get you to stop praying. You're a hypocrite. You can't go into prayer because you sinned. You're a hypocrite. A hypocrite came from Greek theater. And what they would do, it's like modern soap operas, right? What they do is you go into a party. And you have a stick with a mask on it, right? And you put the mask over your face. The person that's doing that has a, uh, an agenda to manipulate, to steal, to connive. So they pretend that there's someone else. You ever watched a movie or a soap opera? So I got, one time I got chicken pox, so I had to stay home for like two weeks. And I borrowed somebody's TV because I didn't own a TV because I didn't want to be in the TV. I wanted to be in the Word of God. But I was so bored that I needed a TV. So I got hooked on soap operas. 
I did. I was in my early 20s. I was single and I started watching TV for the first time in like a decade and I got hooked on soap operas. And when you have somebody that's in that soap opera that's pretending to be faithful or loyal or your friend, but you know the real story and who they really are, you're like all stressed out because the the person's being manipulated. You're like, don't believe them. And I'm in my apartment by myself. No, talking to you. That person is a hypocrite. They have no intention on being who they're pretending to be. They're truly somebody else. You and I are trying to be good Christians. You and I are trying to follow Jesus. Our desire, our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak. Our desire is to be faithful, to be pure, to be holy. That's our desire. And we fail. That's not a hypocrite. That's called a follower of Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Kick that one over too. So how do you come to God then? Honest. Come honest, unvarnished, real. It's not like when you come to God and you're honest about your sin, your anger, your frustration. You know, God, I find prayer boring. It's not like, it's, oh, first of all, I am offended, right? Can you imagine God responding that way? Phil, I cannot believe that was in your heart. I had no idea. I had no idea. Thank you for telling me. Jerry, until you came and prayed to me and told me how you really felt about that situation, I, I, I just, I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm shocked. I don't know if I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have a relationship with you anymore because I didn't know what was going on in your heart. I never would have called you into my kingdom if I knew this is the way it was going to be, right? No. God loves it when you come and you're just honest. My favorite scripture in the whole Bible is to um, pour out your heart before him. At all times, God is a refuge for us. Just pour out your heart and be honest. He loves that. Have you ever had a fake friend? Come on. You ever had a friend that like is always kind of posturing and pretending and trying to put the best foot forward and, and you know, they're not honest with you. It's always shallow. It's all small talk. You're never going to go deep. You say, they're fake. They're two-faced. That's what God thinks when we come to Him when we try to be all, all thou God most holy. High, right? God's like, why are you changing your voice? What, what are you doing? What is that? I created you, you. Now you come to me. This is so important. How many of you have a friend that you could tell your deepest, darkest, darkest secrets to, your grossest sin, or your craziest dreams, and they will not judge you or condemn you? Anybody have a friend like that? All right. All right. If you don't, I'm sorry. You need to get one. Huh? What? You have a friend like that? You do have, okay, you don't want to be in the other category. You have a friend like that, okay. Okay, everybody who has a friend like that sit on this side. The rest of you sit over there so we're clear about who has a friend like that and who doesn't. 
Now, take that best friend you have and multiply it exponentially and you have God. Look at Romans 8 says about this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation is those have that's in Christ Jesus? How much? We got these coming from the low seating back there. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And here, I love this, Hebrews 10, 19 to 20. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Not because of your goodness, not because of your performance, not because of your sinlessness, not because of your righteousness, not because you read the Bible this week, not because you prayed the last three days, so you're allowed to come in today. No. Let's read it again. Read this out loud with me. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right in. Look at this verse. It's just so good. It's hard to even believe. It's hard to like read it because it's so powerfully true. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with the blood of jesus to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water whenever you go into prayer this is how i do it whenever i go into prayer i walk through the path of the blood of jesus right to the throne of god Faith in the blood of Jesus produces the presence of God every time. Faith in your own righteousness produces pride. Faith in your own unrighteousness produces depression. Faith in the blood of Jesus produces the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Always approach Jesus by His righteousness, not yours. I love this scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Some of, some of you, and some of you maybe that are part of our congregation online, have not gotten to this place yet. You wake up, maybe you sin the night before, and you wake up, and all you can think of is your sin. And so you're going to avoid God. You're not going to pray to Him. You're not going to, and you feel yucky and condemned. What you don't know is right then, you can still get right into the presence of God. How? It's like having a ticket to a concert. You have the ticket, you can go in. You don't have the ticket, you cannot go in. It's kind of like when uh, my son Sam, we were at the airport one time, and Sam's fantasy was to fly first class. He watched all sorts of YouTube videos on first class on all sorts of different airlines. He knew all the airlines. He knew what every first class looked like. He knew the difference between first class, business class, coach, and his dream was to be first class, right? We're, the, we're, the, we're, we're waiting to board the plane, and Sam, on his own, just kind of strolls up to, you know, the counter. He says, hello, what do I have to do, leans on, the, you know, leans on the desk, what do I have to do to get into first class, right? 
Like, there goes my Sam. Go, buddy. Right? Sin now, ask for forgiveness later. Does what? What, what, what can I do to get in first class? And so they start telling them how it's not going to happen. Well, there was a lady, it was a business lady who flies so much. She always flies first class. She overheard Sam. And she goes up to the counter and says, I'll tell you what, I'll trade my first class for your coach. And they swap seats. Sam's up there in first class. You guys ever been up there in first class? I've flown first class. I wanted to like open the curtains and say, you all know what's going on up here? You don't think it's worth the extra $7,000? Well, it is. Another foot massage, please. Another glass of champagne. I'll have that T-bone steak and that hot towel. The first time they gave me a hot towel, I didn't even know what to do with it. I was so nervous. I just kind of sat there. I didn't know what to do with it. And she came by and she could tell I'd never flown first class before. And she was like, you unroll it and you wipe your face. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is awesome. Sam got into first class, not on his ticket, but on Jesus's ticket. Or on that lady's ticket. You and I do not get into the throne room of God on our righteousness, but on Jesus' righteousness. He swapped our unrighteousness with his righteousness. Don't ever go to God on your own righteousness or unrighteousness. Always go to him on Jesus' righteousness. It was a gift to you and to me. Amen? It's talking about not letting your prayer life get shut down. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And then finally, okay, so we've got... Prayer is unnecessary. Come on, kick it over. Prayer is unnecessary. Kick that over. Prayer is undesirable. Yeah, so what? Kick it over until your flesh is shut up. Okay. Prayer is, oh, I don't feel worthy to pray. Kick that over. Everybody's unworthy, so tell shame to shut up. Fourth and last obstacle, prayer goes unanswered. So many people start out praying enthused, excited, hear a sermon like this. Yeah, I'm going to pray for my aunt to get saved. I'm going to pray for my grandma to get healed. I'm going to pray for my husband to come to church with me. I'm going to pray for my children to serve the Lord. I'm going to pray for my finances. And you're praying, you're fasting, you're going, and it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen. And you're like, this doesn't work. And you just throw in your prayer time. You just quit. That's why Jesus uh, gave us this parable in Luke chapter 18. I'm just going to do verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples... I'm backing up for a second, Chris. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them they should always pray and never, everybody say, never give up. Why would Jesus have to tell us a parable about not giving up in prayer? Because we will be so tempted to give up because our prayers don't get answered. And it's so discouraging, it's so frustrating, so depressing, makes us angry and despondent. I prayed and they still died. I prayed and they're not saved yet. I prayed and they're still on drugs. I prayed and my marriage isn't working out. I prayed. It's not happening and just give up. Jesus himself, the son of God, knew you would be tempted to quit praying. So he gave us a teaching on how to pray and never give up. Unanswered prayer is discouraging. The Bible book of Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hard to pray with a sick heart. But a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's another half to that verse. But, everybody say, but. but. A dream fulfilled is a tree of life. If you stop praying because you don't get some prayers answered, you're not going to get any prayers answered because you're not praying. 
For those of you that know the name Babe Ruth, which might be half of you, the other half are like, who? Babe Ruth. How many know who Babe Ruth was? Babe Ruth, okay. Babe Ruth, what was he known for? The most home runs ever. Babe Ruth. Do you know, you know what else he did that was not known for? The most strikeouts of anyone ever. Even Ron didn't know that. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? I probably have more prayers that did not come to pass than the ones I do. However, I'm still having prayers come to pass because I'm still praying. Right? Even a blind squirrel gets in that every once in a while, Drina. Right? I mean, you just got to keep swinging. You got to keep praying. You'll get a single. You'll get a double. You'll get a triple. you get a home run. You'll get a grand slam. Sometimes you strike out. But you can't stop praying or you're not going to see anything happen. James says it this way. You do not have because you do not ask God for it. First John says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know if he hears, we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions we've asked of him. How many of you in your life, you're praying about stuff and you see some movement over here, but you see no movement over here. Anybody living that life? That's the life I'm living, right? You're praying and praying and praying. Some things are happening over here. I'm praying and that happened. That person, that happened. This isn't budging. Dang it. So what do you do? So important. Celebrate the things that are happening. Focus on what God is doing. Not what he's not doing. That's a real negative way to live. And then work on what's not happening. Lord, do I need to pray different kinds of prayers? What is it that has to happen differently over here? This is a project. I got to keep working on this. And let me tell you a few things that's so important. How many of you have ever heard of push, P-U-S-H? And I got to bring this to a close and we're going to start praying. How many of you have heard of push, P-U-S-H? What's it stand for? Pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. Now, here's the thing. The person that came up with this phrase Prayer changes, prayer does not change things, prayer changes you. I despise that saying. That person had a lot of unanswered prayer. Well, so often when we want to emphasize one truth, we dismantle another truth. Of course prayer changes things. We got a whole Bible full of evidence that prayer changes things. In people's lives, your lives, church history. And yes, prayer also changes you. Here's how it works. There's all sorts of different can't put all the eggs in one basket. Sometimes you pray for something for a long time, and what you want externally doesn't change. But you know what does change? Internally. You develop more patience. You develop more humility. You develop relinquishing of control. Now, you and I might not value that, but God does. God values that character more than the external answer prayer, because that's all temporary. Your character is eternal. So yeah, sometimes it doesn't happen, but something does happen. You are changing on the inside. And that's worth its weight in gold. Other times you pray. Have you, how many of you, have you ever prayed and bam, it happens like that fast? Anybody have those kind of prayers? We all want that kind of life, don't we? Yeah, you get the external thing. Nothing happens internally. Like, I don't care. I got what I wanted, right? Let's just be honest. 
Like, like God, Mark says, I get you guys mixed up, God, Mark. Mark says, you know, we, we marry God for his money. You know, we want what we want. What does happen, though, when you pray and it happens immediately is your faith increases and now you're excited you pray more. So that's good. But no character is developed that way. Then, there's, then, then there is when you pray for a very long time for something and it happens, you get both. You get character developed and you get the breakthrough. The last thing I want to say before we jump into prayer and pray for some people in our church that need breakthroughs. Because it can't just be a teaching. We have to activate prayer in, in here today. And let's believe God for some stuff to happen. For people that we love. Maybe some of you in here today. Some of you online. We have people in our church that have been dealing with strongholds that have not broken. And they need to break. My wife needs to get healed. Shelly, Mark's wife needs to get healed. Maru, Francisco's wife needs to get healed. We need to keep praying until something happens. But I want to say this before we jump into that. Prayer cannot just be about getting stuff or things changing. Prayer is ultimately about a relationship with God. If you and I will allow much of our prayer time to be about getting to know God, developing a friendship with God, your joy and my joy will skyrocket. Because if our joy is hooked to the wagon 100% of getting what we want in the natural, our joy is going to be going up and down and up and down and up and down based on answered prayer. I hate that. I hate that term anyway, unanswered prayer. I used it because it's a common phrase and it went with all of the three other uns. I hate unanswered prayer. As though God's not listening or He doesn't care. God's always listening and He always cares. We just might not get the answer that we're looking for. But He's always answering our prayers. Sometimes it's a no, sometimes it's a wait, sometimes it's a yes. But He's always answering prayer. However, Prayer is about relationship with God. The psalmist says, you may be exceedingly glad with your presence. Habakkuk said, even though nothing's happening in the natural, I rejoice in my God. I joy in the God of my salvation. We've got to be careful not to make it all about external realities, but to remember ultimately eternal life is knowing God. And that happens through prayer. So church, we have to pray. So, there are some prayers, there's some people that I really want us to hit today. It's 1130, and uh, if, if you want to get your children and bring them in and pray, you can do that. Um, but we're going to start praying, we'll spend about 10 minutes doing this, okay? This is activation. There are a few people, I've already named them, that I want us to pray for today as a church. Let's believe God for miracles. First, I want us to pray for my wife. She needs to get healed from this nasty cancer. There are some people who have stopped believing. I, I haven't, and I won't. There are people in my life that are believing with me, 
And I thank God for them. I hope that you are in that group. That we are going to believe until my wife is healed. Shelly needs to get healed. Thank God for stories in the Bible like the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. Everybody gave up on her. We've thrown everything at this. It's not going to happen. She never gave up. She pressed through the crowd and touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And he said, who, who touched me? Virtue went out of him. He didn't choose to heal her. She sucked healing out of him through faith. And he said, your faith just healed you. Whew, come on. That's how I got healed. So let's all stand. And let's be a praying church. The Lord's purified the church. We're here because we love Him. We love one another. And we love the lost. That's why we're here. No other reason. And the first thing we're going to do is be a praying church. So let's start with hope. Just lift your voice to the Lord. And, let's, and Mark, you can help me with this. Let's start praying for hope. Just lift my wife up to the Lord right now. Let's come by the righteousness of Jesus to the throne of grace. Nothing is too difficult for our God. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Well, come on up here. Mary, you got it. Come on, let's do this. hope the Lord gave hope a prophetic word before this battle was enjoined and he said plan for longevity you guys have all heard that right he spoke to her audibly the day before she was diagnosed she didn't even know what that was about is that unreal or not but that was God's kindness that was his goodness that was his promise to her and the word of God tells us that he is a God of his word, even before his name. And we know his name is Jehovah Jireh, uh, um, Rapha, the healer. But he's also the God of our peace. He is our fortress. He is our might. And he is a God of his word. All right, so pray. when I pray for hope, I always pray from the decree of God that he gave her. There is power in his word. So, Father, right now, we, lift up we hope as to you, one Lord. body lift up your word Come that on, you church. gave to Hopator. You said plan for Shut longevity. Up. And, Lord, we stand on that, and we decree it back to you, to the heavens, Lord. And we decree life into her body in Jesus' name. Lord, we lift her up before your throne. We all agree in this house with your word to plan for longevity. That's what you said, so that's what we say. We agree with heaven to plan for longevity. 
And you said to let hope arise. You spoke that to me. Then you spoke it to Francisco the next day. Lord, we declare her healing. We declare her deliverance. We declare her freedom from cancer. In Jesus' mighty name, before your throne, Lord, we are in agreement and we pray. Lord, we lift up Shelly before you. Lord, we lift up Shelly, Mark's wife, before you. Who here has, who here wants to lead us out in prayer for Shelly? Come on, church. It's not just, I'm a coach. I train you to get in the game. Who wants to come up here and pray for Shelly? Someone other than Mary, because she'll, she'll pray for everybody. We've got to spread it out. Here we go. Come on. We're going to pray in faith. Come on. Pray for Shelly. Let's go, church. Come on. We're a praying church. We're not begging. We're praying. Heal Shelly's body. You know all that's wrong with her body. Yes, Take Lord. it. it. Remove it. Restore every strength in her body. And bring her back to us. She is the joy. She is so much joy. She takes care of all of us. Bring her back to us, oh Lord. In your holy, holy name. Yes, Lord. Awesome. 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 I love this. Church is activated. Father, I may not know how to pray like you, but I ask you to just guide me and direct me. Father, let Shelly yeah. be touched by your hand. Jesus. Because when you gave your life on the cross, yeah. you did away with sickness and disease. Yes. You did away with all darkness and all evil. By your stripes. Yes. We claim your blood. That's right. Apply the blood on her. Yes, Jesus. And she is healed now. It is done. It is finished like you said. There's nothing else that we need to do but just believe. And I pray that she will believe and receive your healing. Yes, Lord. Your healing hands right now. In the name above all names. Yeshua the Ham. Yeshua, Yeshua the Hamashiach. Father, I believe that we can do all things if you're with us. Yeah. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And I believe in prayer. I believe, Lord, that it's because of you, because we believe in your love for us. Yes. But there's nothing that you will not do for us. Yes, Lord. And we thank you, and we thank you. Amen. 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 Judy. And it just just before Judy, come on up, Judy. Um, I need to tell you something about Shelly, and I think this is very timely for us. When she first got sick 25 years ago, um, she was sick for several months, and then the church did something unknown to us. We didn't know what they were going to do. They decided to do a round-the-clock prayer thing for a week for Shelly, but they didn't tell us. They started on a particular day, and when she got up in the morning, she said, I don't feel any pain. She did not feel pain for an entire week while they were praying. Then when it was over, the pain returned. Isn't that interesting? Don't give up. Okay, so on that point... Don't give up. I actually, today I thought, 
you missed it because what you should have done, although I don't usually should on myself, but today I did, what you should have done was to have, we used to uh, historically do a 24-7 prayer calendar, like for 30 days, where we, every hour is covered in the 24-hour period. Somebody's praying all the time for this church. I think we should do that. What do you guys think? Would you guys be in on that? Yes? I, I need to see some hands if, if this is going to be real, okay? All right, so I'm going to send something out, and it's Shelly Will, and it's a calendar, and you just plug yourself in there. Even if we don't get the 24-7, we'll have more prayer going than we have, right? Because that is real. That's what made the early church so powerful. So we're going to start doing that this week. Judy. Oh, Heavenly Father, you have done everything already Mm -hmm. to heal your church. Yeah. Not only are we healed by your stripes, but the chastisement of our peace is upon you. And by your wounds, we are healed. Mm -hmm. In the spiritual realm, Shelly is healed. Yeah. She's already healed. Yes. And Lord God, we ask that the spiritual nature of Shelly be the engine that drives the caboose and overpowers her soul and overpowers mm-hmm. her body. Mm-hmm. Yes, Lord. And we ask that all this power fall upon her, Lord yes, God. Yes, Lord. And that her faith, not only the faith of the church, but her faith, she sees what she already has. And that she experiences what she already has. It's much easier, Lord, to represent what she has than to try to feel or to think that we don't have it yet and it's coming. She has it. It's yeah, hers. It's hers. We declare it. That's it. We bind we the agree, spirits Lord. of infirmity. We banish the we spirits agree. of infirmity from her body. With heaven. And now, Lord, we represent the power of Jesus Christ and what has been done on the cross for yes. her. And it is hers to have now and experience in the name of Jesus Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Um, I'm going to do two more things. We're going to pray for uh, Maru, who's who's watching online. And then anybody else here that needs prayer, we're going to turn and pray for one another. But I want to say this. That prayer, that that parable Jesus gave about praying and never giving up. And then if you know the parable, I can't teach it right now because I don't have time. But there was a widow begging an unjust judge for what she wanted and because of our unbelief and because we don't understand who we are and when our prayers don't get answered we identify with the widow and God is the unjust judge it's horrific because that was a parable of contrast what Jesus is saying is even if a widow could get an unjust judge to give her what she wanted how much more he ends the parable with how can how much more will God's children get from God what they want because he's a good God is God an unjust judge are you a begging widow no we are not begging here we are children of God contrasted with a widow and God is not an unjust judge he is a good gracious God you see so we're not begging we're children coming to our father and receiving all right who wants to pray for Maru Maru Somebody's got to be bold. Mark and I. Here we go. Jerry, come on up here, buddy. The church unleashed. The church unleashed. The church unleashed. The church unleashed. Let's go, Jerry. Let's pray for Maru.
Jesus, you suffered a great, a great loss in your body when you were crucified. And, and your word says that um, you know the suffering that um, we go through. You can relate to us in every way. And so we know you relate to Maru's pain and suffering. You've been there. You, you know it well, Lord. Um, but you were raised from the dead. <laughs> you were raised to glory. And your pain, you were healed. And, and Jesus, you're our example. So in that place, in Jesus' name, life came back to your body. So I just declare life into Maru's body. I declare life, life into Maru's body in Jesus' name. Life into Maru's body in Jesus' name. Life into Maru's body in Jesus' name. I declare life into Maru's body. Sickness and disease and, and, and um, uh, uh, diseased flesh and those things that are, that are sick to be gone, to die and be gone in Jesus' name. We declare life into Maru's body again. Life into Maru's body right now. Life into Maru's body. Thank you, Jesus. And, and, and I just see like, like a seed sprouting and, and life coming into a seed that's just been sitting dormant. And, and life is coming into that body right now in Jesus' name. Uh, like a time lapse, when you see a time lapse of a, of a seed turning into some kind of little plant and growing. I just see that now in Jesus' name. I declare life. Life of Rue's body. Life, right now, time lapse. A time lapse. A time lapse right now in Jesus' name. There's one other issue here, and it's uh, how many of you are either married to or brother or sister of or have some significant relationship with someone who's sick and suffering and that prayer has not yet been answered. Any of you in that position? I am with Shelly. John is with uh, Hope. Francisco is with Maru. And many of you are. Put up your hands if that's you, okay? We need. We, we pray for the sick person and we forget often the person who accompanies them through their sickness. And they need, we need help. Okay, so I'm going to pray for that. So let's receive that. Each one of us coping with someone who's really ill right now and we're carrying emotionally, empathetically, the burden of their sickness. Father, you don't just care for the sick person. You care for everybody who suffers because of that sickness. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to encourage us. To encourage us who, who are close to those that are suffering. Touch us with a greater measure of faith. Touch us with a, with, a, with, a, with a greater passion to continue praying and fighting. God, be our comfort. Be what we need to go through this. Show us how to love that, that person that we're, that we're attached to who's suffering. Show us how to love in a way maybe we've never loved before. To be, to be what they need. Be what we need so we can be what they need. Pour your spirit out on us, Lord. Help us. Jesus said that his house would be known as a house of prayer. Look what we're doing. Come on now. We're going back to the DNA of the early church, and we're going to see the same powerful results if we continue to pray. So I'm going to put out that prayer calendar. I'm going to ask you to sign up for an hour on that prayer calendar. 
and let's just get prayer, the prayer quotient increasing. We have pre-service prayer, 915 and 945. It's a great opportunity to get more prayer in the church. I want to do this. If you have sickness or disease in your body, I want you to move up front here. Right now. I want others to come up behind them and lay hands. You guys are the prayers. You guys are the ministers. We're the coaches. We're the ones that are training you how to do the works of ministry so that the kingdom of God can be unleashed. And as those that have sickness or disease in their body or pain of any kind, you come up front. Just go ahead and move out from your chairs. Come on up front here. Others are going to come behind you, lay hands on you, begin praying. Josh is going to lead us in worship. And we're going to go out like this. Amen? Amen. Come on. Let's do this. Yeah. If you don't have sickness or disease, come up behind these people, lay hands, and just start praying in Jesus' name. Somebody is suffering from depression. And if that's you, I'm going to pray over you. I don't mean to make you conspicuous, conspicuous, but I want to pray over you. I'm going to sing the storm. Louder and louder. Going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes. Hope will arise. Step this defeated. King is
You're free to stay. You're free to go.
Thank mm-hmm. you.